A couple of things to remind you about coming up this Friday, Good Friday, we have a service here, special service Good Friday, 11 o'clock, 11 a.m. here. Um, we do this every Good Friday. It's a time for us to reflect on the events of the cross. We're continuing the theme of our current teaching series about Exodus, uh, but it will be uh, different from our normal Sunday morning, more kind of reflective, and uh, we usually have a wonderful time in the Lord's presence, those Good Friday services, so 11 o'clock Friday here. And then uh, one other thing for you to do is to sign up for a life group if you haven't yet done so. You can do that this morning. There'll be a laptop. You can sign up at the end of, the, of our service together, or you can do it on your own at home online. And uh, if you haven't yet done so, pick up one of these little uh, brochures, which tells you what's happening in terms of life groups for next term. Different from our normal life groups, we're focusing on some particular issues. We've got uh, rather than a whole number of different groups meeting in homes, we've got four bigger themes happening. One looking at getting into theology, one looking at freedom in Christ, one for those who are married, and one serving our community. So have a look at that, have a read of that, get yourself signed up for that. Great, right, so let's, um, well actually before I get into the word, uh, last week Grace and I were in North Carolina at uh, One Harbor Church with uh, our friend Donnie Griggs. Um, we were there, flew out Saturday, almost didn't make it, got to Heathrow, and I had an Esther crisis. Esther's are the uh, visa things you now have to have to go to the States, and mine was meant to be valid to the end of May, but there'd been some problem, and got to check in, and they wouldn't let me check in, because mine had uh, been cancelled, and uh, it was hugely busy, because it was the first day of these holidays, it took me an hour to line up and find out what was going on, and be told it was because of my Esther, and then by the time we'd worked that through, we'd missed the flight we were meant to be on. Had to apply for another Esther on my phone, which is difficult with a complicated American form, waiting for it to be approved, and then refresh, refresh, refresh. Ten minutes before the next flight, which is the only other flight we could have got, it was approved, so we ran to the desk, managed to get on. If we hadn't got that flight, we wouldn't have got there at all, which would have been very embarrassing. Um, but we got there, praise God, and had a really great time with One Harbour. Uh, most of you will know Donnie, he's been here a few times. Uh, it's a great church. It started only 10 years ago, 10 years ago that Donnie and Jill planted that church. They now meet in four congregations uh, in uh, quite a big region there in the, on the east coast of North Carolina, and uh, they're doing a fantastic job. They are um, uh, really knowing the, the grace of God in lots of different areas. Uh, they've just recently started a drug rehab house. There's a huge problem with drug addiction on the east coast of the U.S. and in those small towns, and uh, they've uh, bought a house, and they're doing a drug rehab house, which is which is great, and they have huge favor in the community at large, and we just had a wonderful time with them. So I preached at Donnie's congregation twice last Sunday morning, and then Sunday afternoon through to Wednesday lunchtime, we were with their elders and wives and their staff team. There's 20 elders, so it was a, a bigger crowd plus their staff team, and we were with them teaching them and uh, enjoying being with them, and then flew back out on Wednesday afternoon once that was done. So it was a short trip, but a fantastic one. And they send their love, and uh, this week on the email that we send around each Tuesday, there'll be a little video greeting from Donnie and the leaders there for you if you want to look at that. Okay, today we are in Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem as king, just a few days before he was crucified. And over this week, we focus on what Easter means, what Easter has done for us. We think about the events of Good Friday, the events of the cross, and then we anticipate the events of next Sunday when we'll be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And 
for us, those of us who believe, these are not just historical events. They're not just things which happened at some point in time as kind of uh, events that just got ticked off on the list of all the other events that have happened in the history of the world. No, for us, the events of Easter mark our crossing points, mark the points of the Bible story which describes how we need to be rescued, that us human beings are caught, we're trapped. The uh, story begins in the book of Genesis and describes how we're caught by the heel, as the story describes it, by Satan and by sin and by death. And the Bible story is a story of how we need to be rescued from that and that we're unable to rescue ourselves. There's no great escape possible which we can do under our own power. We can't jump the fence under our own power. We need somebody to help us. We need a rescuer. We need a hero. And that's who Jesus is. And uh, we're looking at the story of Easter through the prism of the story of the Exodus and Moses as the great hero who led the people of Israel out of Egypt. Moses, who was a, a kind of prefigured Jesus Christ. And so to help us set the scene, let's see a little clip from the Prince of Egypt movie. staff, you shall do my wonders. The Exodus is the defining story of the Old Testament. The Exodus when Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery from Egypt, out of that nation, across the sea, and towards the promised land. Let's uh, read something of that story in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 14 describes the scene which we've just seen on that movie clip. Exodus 14 verse 29. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. If you were to ask a faithful Israelite, who are you? The answer would have been, we're the people that God rescued 
out of Egypt. And if you were then to ask that faithful Israelite, well, who is this God? Who is this Yahweh that you follow? They'd say, well, he's the God who rescued us. That's who we are. We're a people who've been rescued. We've been rescued by the rescuing God. And that's a story that all of us can connect to. Rescue stories are our life story. We resonate with rescue stories. We love them, whether it's a child enjoying a Disney movie, watching Sleeping Beauty, the story of rescue, or whether it's celebrating 10 years ago when Bournemouth were about to be ejected from the Football League and somehow were rescued and came through all the way to survival in the Premiership. Rescue stories are stories that we connect with. They resonate with us. And the Bible story is a story of rescue. It's a story that tells us we need to be rescued because we are held and there is a rescue who is able to help us. And so the story of the Exodus, the story of Moses leading the people out of Egypt and across the sea, shapes the whole story of the Bible and actually shapes our lives. If you don't understand the story of the Exodus, what it's all about, it's going to be hard to understand the other stories that the Bible tells. It's like trying to it's like going to the United States and trying to understand the U.S. without having some understanding of the kind of the founding story of this is why we're here, this is how this nation exists, this is what this place is about. Or it's a bit like trying to understand the U.K. without knowing anything about the Second World War. Uh, the, the experience of the war so shaped all subsequent stories, still does. Current debates about Brexit and large measures shaped by what happened in the war. It's a founding story. And if you don't understand the story of the Exodus... You're not going to understand the story of the Bible because the Exodus defines who the people of God and how they're to live. That was true for the people of Israel, and it's true for followers of Jesus. It's a story about rescue. And yet it's possible to know the story of the Exodus and actually to have experienced it, but not live as if it was true. And one of the tragedies of the Bible, of that story, is that when we get through the amazing liberation from slavery in Egypt, very quickly we see the people of Israel turning back to slavery, living as if they hadn't left Egypt, living as if they were still slaves. And Christians, those of us who've experienced the exodus won for us by Jesus, we can go back, as it were, to our old way of life and forget who we really are. So today I want to explore that, and my aim this morning is to see how we are called and enabled, equipped, freed to live in freedom because of the exodus that we have experienced. And so we need to understand something of this exodus story. We need to see how central it is to the whole Bible story. It's not just a story that happens in the Old Testament. It's a story which shapes the whole story of the Bible. We see that in the life of Jesus Christ himself. We see that in the story of Christ's birth. We're told that when Jesus was born, his life was under grave threat from an evil king, King Herod, who's a kind of a reenactment of the evil king Pharaoh. And Joseph takes Mary and the baby Jesus to Egypt to keep them safe. But when the coast is clear, when Herod dies, Joseph brings them out of Egypt back to Israel. And it says in Matthew 2.15, God says, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, in this case, Egypt is an actual place. It's an actual country, but it's also figurative. It's an illustration. It's the, it's the place that you don't want to stay. You're not meant to stay in Egypt. You're meant to come out of Egypt into freedom. Egypt is slavery. The promised land represents freedom. And uh, 
Jesus was brought out of Egypt into the promised land. He himself kind of enacted that exodus in the story of his birth. And we also see this story enacted in the story of Jesus' death. There's one point in the story of Christ's ministry on earth where with his friends, Peter and James and John, he went up a mountain and it says that he was transfigured. He was suddenly transformed from looking like he normally did, just a normal Palestinian carpenter and looked like he was in terms of being God. He says that his clothes are burning bright and he kind of shone on this mountain. And on the mountain, he met with the Old Testament prophets, Moses, who led the people out of Egypt and Elijah, the great prophet. And it says that Moses and Elijah and Jesus had a conversation on the mountain with Peter and James and John watching on. And it says in Luke 9, verse 31, they, Moses and Elijah, spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to, fulfill, to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now, that word departure, actually, in the, the Greek word is exodus. They spoke about his exodus, which he was about to bring to fulfillment. What they were talking about, what Moses and Elijah were discussing with Jesus on the mountain, what the disciples got an ear to listen in onto, was the fact that at Jerusalem, in his crucifixion, there was going to be an exodus moment. Jesus' death was going to be the way that exodus was going to happen for all people. A way would be open for people to leave sin and death and slavery and come into freedom and light and life. So we see the exodus reenacted in the life of Jesus. And we see that the exodus is also the shape, the example, the model for us Christians. It's a, an example of faith. This is what it says in the letter to the Hebrews. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Hebrews 11 is a, a list, a catalogue of examples of faith, great heroes of the faith who are an example to us. And it says that by faith, the people crossed the sea as on dry land. Being a people of faith means crossing over. It's faith that brings you through. It's faith that carries you over. It's faith that gets you through what looks impossible, a sea. It's faith that opens it up so you can walk through as on dry lands. And this is an experience which all Christians share. It's a shared experience. The, the exodus was something that all the people of Israel participated in. They didn't leave anybody behind in Egypt, but all of them crossed that sea. In 1 Corinthians, it says, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. It says that these things were an example to us. All the Israelites' experiences, they all crossed the sea because of, what, uh, because of the, the power that was at work through Moses. And the Christian experience is the same. That all of us who are Christians share this Exodus experience. Actually, a greater Exodus experience than the Israelites New. We haven't simply crossed a sea. We haven't just left Egypt, but because of Jesus, we've had a complete transformation of our lives. We have been made new, we've been born again, we've been delivered from the power of our great enemy and brought into life in Christ and get to share in all that Christ is, all he has, everything for us. That's the Easter story. You get free by getting out of Egypt. You need to cross over. You need to get away from slavery. You need to enter into freedom. That's the story of Easter. That's what we Christians proclaim at Easter. It's what we proclaim every day. 
and say our great gospel hope that Christ is the greater Moses who's led us out of our Egypt into freedom, into life. And that's the invitation for all those who don't yet know Jesus, that the way can be opened, that he's made the way open, that through the exodus that he enacted, through his death on the cross, all might come into freedom, all might come into a knowledge of God. Now, the tragedy of the Exodus story is how, having had this remarkable experience of being brought out of Egypt, of crossing the sea, how quickly the people decide they want to go back to Egypt. It's just remarkable. For 400 years, they had been in Egypt, and they had been reduced to slaves. They labored for the Egyptians. They experienced brutality and oppression, hardship and difficulty. And they cry out to God, God, would you rescue us? We're slaves here in Egypt. We're your people. We know that we're meant to be free, but we're living as slaves. God, would you deliver us? And in response to their cry, God sends them a hero. God sends them Moses. And through Moses, God displays his power. He sends the plagues, and then he leads them out of Egypt by fire and by a cloud. And then they come to the sea, and they come to their moment of deliverance. And uh, earlier in Exodus 14, it says that they said this. They say to Moses, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. They hadn't said that at all. What they'd been saying was, we need to be rescued. We're slaves, we're oppressed, we're brutalized, we want to be rescued. And when God sent Moses, it says in Exodus chapter 4, they fell on their knees in gratitude, they fell on their knees in worship, because God has sent a rescuer, God has sent a hero. But when the Exodus gets underway, they quickly wish that they'd never started. Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt? It would be better that we'd been there than that we die here in the desert. Now, why is it they say that? Why is it they respond like that? And why is it that Christians can look back to Egypt at times as well? Why is it that when we have been delivered from our sin, do we sometimes want to go back to it? Why do we look back, as it were, to Egypt and say, ah, it was better there. If only we'd stayed there. There's some things we need to think about. The first is to see that the Christian actually is free. As Christians, we're free. When the Israelites walked through the sea, they were set free. Pharaoh and his army was extinguished, destroyed. As it says there in the scripture, they were washed up on the shore. Egypt's power over the people of Israel was broken. They had been slaves. They had been completely under the thumb of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They had no liberty, no rights, no freedom. Appalling things were happening were happening. They'd experienced terrible things. Earlier on, when Moses had been born, and uh, that, uh, that period, Pharaoh is commanding that all the baby boys born to the Israelites should be drowned in the Nile. They just experienced horrific oppression in Egypt, the most appalling servitude, the most terrible slavery. And as they walked through the sea, the power of Egypt was broken. Pharaoh no longer had any power over them. And what the gospel says is the same thing happens to us when we come to Christ. That the enslavement that we knew, that our captivity to sin, our, our bondage to a greater power is broken by the power of Jesus. And so it says in Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans 8 verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's 
No condemnation. There's no power. There's no authority over us except the power, the good power of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus has carried our condemnation on the cross as we have crossed over to life in him. This means there's no judgment against us. We now live under grace. Once we had a slave master who had authority over us. We were, we were subject to the power of the devil. We were subject to the power of sin. We didn't live for God, even if we seemed to be good and decent people. We were living for ourselves and unwittingly, unknowingly, we were actually under the power of this great enemy, Satan. We were, as the Bible says, caught by the heel. He had us. And then because of what Christ has done, because of the exodus of the cross, the empty tomb, we're set free. We're not slaves anymore. If you're a Christian, you've come into freedom. You've crossed the sea. You, Pharaoh has no power over you. All those things which once gripped you, they, their power has been broken because of the greater power of Jesus Christ. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The enemy can't accuse you, can't say to you that you're unworthy, that you're not good enough, that you're not really free. No, you are really free and you really have been made good enough because Christ is good enough and you've received his righteousness. He's declared you to be free. He's declared you to be righteous. He's declared you to be blameless in his sight. Those things that we were looking at in the psalm we started with. Who could be blameless? Who could be righteous? None of us could do that. But Christ is blameless. He is righteous. And we cross with him. And his righteousness is given to us, counted as ours. And God looks at us not as those who are alien to him and foreign to him, but he looks at us as his adopted children, his friends, members of his family, people who have been brought into freedom. No accusation, no condemnation against us can stand. And that means that we are then able, empowered to live in ways which are pleasing to God. It says in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You've been set free, so don't live as a slave. You've been set free. You come to Christ. You're walking in freedom. So don't again allow yourself to be burdened by a yoke of slavery. You're empowered to live freely. And that's a, a freedom which is internal. It's, it's regardless of all the other stuff that happens in life, all the other external pressures, all the things that people would say to us, all the things going on in the world. Christ transforms us inside out. He brings us into freedom. He brings us into liberty. He brings us into life. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The great founding myth of America is that it's about freedom. It's the land of the free. The founding fathers came to found a free society. The truth about what has happened to us as Christians is that we have stepped into freedom because Christ has brought us across. The exodus has happened. We're set free. We're liberated. We're not slaves. We're free citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so we need to remember who we are. We need to remember that we're free. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And we need to remember that. We need to remember it because we can forget it. We can forget our freedom. Now, the Israelites were actually free even before they'd crossed the sea. Moses led them out of Egypt, and God had spoken and said he was going to bring them into freedom. So even before they'd actually crossed the sea, the deal was done. They were stepping out in freedom, and they walked out of Egypt, Moses leading them, heads held high, 
But then their slave masters wanted them back. It says in Exodus 14, verse 5, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. Pharaoh and his people liked having slaves, liked having the Israelites to do their bidding, do their hard work, do their dirty jobs. They didn't want them to go. They wanted them back. And even as the Israelites walked out of Egypt, they were free. But it was only when the Egyptians were drowned in the sea that the Israelites could be truly confident of their freedom. They crossed the sea. They're free. The deal's done. God's spoken. Moses had led them out by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. They've crossed the sea. But even then, they keep feeling the tug of life back in Egypt. And this happens so soon. It happens in our Bibles just a chapter or two later in Exodus 16. They've crossed the sea. They're now in the wilderness. Their stomachs are rumbling. They're getting hungry. And they say this to Moses. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. It's an entirely ridiculous thing that they say. It's ridiculous on so many levels. Back in Egypt, they weren't sitting around pots of meat, eating whatever they wanted and having a high old time. No, they were slaves. They were oppressed. They were having to do incredible hard labor they couldn't possibly keep up with. They were being flogged and abused. Their babies were being thrown into the Nile. It's ridiculous for them to say it was better back in Egypt. No, they were slaves. It was the worst place to be. And it's ridiculous for them to say, Moses, he brought us out into this desert to die No, God had brought them out by Moses' hand to bring them into freedom. They were going to enter the land of promise. They were coming into their inheritance. It was ridiculous that they should speak this way. It was ridiculous because they were free people, but they were still thinking and acting like slaves. They still had the mentality, the attitude of slaves. It was easier back in Egypt. It was easier back in Egypt. And we can be like this as Christians. We experience this miraculous rescue. We come in faith to Christ. By faith you cross through. Faith in what Christ has done. Jesus' death and resurrection is the great exodus, the greater exodus. He's the one who breaks the power of sin and the devil. He brings us out into freedom. We turn in faith to Jesus and we experience this miracle of new life, of transformation of, yes, now I stand not condemned, but Righteous before God, knowing his favor, knowing his blessing, knowing his love in my life. And then the realities of life start to bite. Those days and seasons when life is hard and things feel difficult. And we can look back to Egypt and say, wow, it used to be easier there. Francis Chan in his book Crazy Love says this. There is an epidemic of spiritual amnesia going around. And none of us is immune No matter how many fascinating details we learn about God's creation, no matter how many pictures we see of his galaxies, and no matter how many sunsets we watch, we still forget. Why are we so quick to forget God? Who do we think we are? Even though I glimpse God's holiness, I am still dumb enough to forget that life is all about God and not about me. The Christian is free. 
but we can forget our freedom. We can forget who God is and what he's done. We just start to look in on ourselves, and that's what the Israelites did. Once they crossed the sea, once they were in freedom, they just looked in on themselves and said to Moses, why did you bring us out? It'd be better for us to stay there. They forgot the reality of the amazing, miraculous rescue God had done for them. They forgot that they were free. And the sad reality is that they were living like atheists, as if God didn't exist. And we can function as atheists as well. Now, those of us who are Christians, of course, we're not atheists. We believe there is a God. We believe in Jesus, our Savior. But it's very possible for us to live as though we are atheists, as though there is no God. And that's what happened to these Israelites. They'd seen incredible demonstrations of the power of God. They'd seen all that Moses and Aaron had performed while they were in Egypt. They'd seen Moses' staff turn into a, a snake. They'd seen the plagues that God sent. They'd seen the hail and the locusts and the flies and the frogs. They'd seen all the demonstrations of God's superior power over the power of Pharaoh. They'd seen this pillar of cloud and fire which led them out of Egypt. They'd seen the miracle of the sea being torn open and being able to walk through on dry land. They'd seen it all and yet they got into the wilderness and they started to speak and to act not like free children of God but like slaves back in Egypt who didn't really believe there was a God at all. How does that happen? And how does it happen for us? How is it that we Christians who experience the exodus that Jesus brings, we experience the liberation that he has won us, we turn to him in faith and we know sins forgiven, we know life renewed, we know acceptance as children of God, we know the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and yet we can look back to Egypt and we can function as if there's no God. Why is that? Three things which can make us functional atheists. The first is fear. Or anxiety, that can turn us into effective atheists. It's when we're faced by hard situations in life and our response is, how am I going to fix this? All, it becomes, all becomes about how can I get out of this? We forget that actually Jesus is the rescuer. He's the one who's delivered us. And we think, how can I deliver myself? And fear can do that to us. Anxiety can do that to us. I think that was happening here in the story of the Israelites. They get through the sea, they come into the wilderness, they start to get hungry, and they're afraid of being hungry. And in their fear, they get anxious, and they start to think, how can we fix this? How can we fix this? We can fix this by going back to Egypt, because there we had food. And that's what fear and anxiety can do. It can drive you back to thinking and acting and living as a slave. We need to know the confidence that is ours in Christ Jesus, that he's the one who has delivered us. He's the one who has fixed it and is fixing all things. That all will be made new, all will be set right by Christ. That's guaranteed because of the power of his death-defying death. And so we need to bring our fears and our anxieties to the cross and allow Jesus to take them on his shoulders rather than trying to carry them on our shoulders. If we carry our fears and anxieties ourselves, we're just going to be turned back into slaves. No, we need to live free. Bring your fears, bring your anxieties, bring them to Jesus. When we take bread and wine in a moment, their fears and anxieties you're carrying, come and bring them to Jesus as you take the bread and the wine, asking him to carry them because he's able. His shoulders are broad enough, yours aren't, 
He can carry our fears and anxieties. The second thing which can lead us to become functional atheists is rather different from fear and anxiety. It's if we're competent. And that can turn us into functional atheists because when issues come our way, we think, I have got this. I can sort this. I can resolve this. We think that we're the people who can fix all our problems ourselves, that we've got it sorted. And if we are highly competent or we feel competent in different areas, that means that we can start to rely on our own understanding, our own ability, rather than looking to God. It turns us into functional atheists and actually brings us back to the place of slavery again. Because rather than looking to him and knowing his grace and his help, we rely on ourselves. And the reality is that for all of us, our competence, our ability at some point fails, fades, is insufficient We need to look to God. He's the one who has it completely. He's the one who holds the world in his hands. Jesus is the one by whom and for whom and through whom all things were made and all things hold together. He's the one who is ultimately and fully competent. He's the only truly competent one. And so we need to look to him for grace and help. And the third thing which can turn us into functional atheists is self-esteemism. This is when we think that I have got to reach a certain standard in order to be acceptable. I need to do this. I need to achieve that. I need to accomplish this thing in order to be accepted by other people and be accepted by God. And we forget that actually Jesus is the one who has reached the standard. He's the one who is perfect. He is perfection. And in him, somehow, amazingly, miraculously, graciously, his standard is accounted to us. If We think, I have to reach a particular standard. It turns us into functional atheists. We stop to look to God. We just look in on ourselves. Actually brings us back into slavery. It makes us slaves again to whatever that standard is. Whatever that thing is, you've got to achieve. That becomes your slave master. Whatever that standard is, that becomes the thing which becomes your master. And we've been set free from that. We've been brought into freedom by Jesus Christ. He's the one who has met every standard. He is perfect. He is perfection. And in him we are counted righteous before God. There's no striving that we now need to achieve righteousness with God. No striving we need to justify ourselves. No, he is the one who's achieved it all. And in him we find our righteousness. In him we find our standard. In him we find perfection. He is the one who is blameless. And he shares his righteousness with us. If we allow fear or anxiety or our competence or our self-esteemism to be the things which shape our lives, it's like we end up going back to Egypt. We go back to the old grind of slavery and trying to rescue ourselves, trying to deliver ourselves. We, if we forget who God is and we forget who we are, it's like we go back to Egypt. It's like these Israelites saying, we wish we were back there. No, we are free. And so what should we do? What should we do this Palm Sunday? What should we Christians do? We should look to Jesus. We need to look to Jesus. We need to look to our rescuer. We need to remind ourselves of what he has done. That's what we do every Easter. That's what we need to do every day. Remind ourselves of what Christ has done. That God himself came to earth, took on human flesh, 
lived as a man amongst us, lived a life of simplicity and hard work and humility. And then Jesus himself, who came pronouncing the kingdom of God, came announcing good news. Jesus was the one who became the lamb, the perfect sacrifice. He was hung on a cross on that Friday all those years ago. He really did die, and he didn't just die to be executed because he was a nuisance. He died as the perfect sacrifice who was able to carry all the weight of all our sin, all our mess, all our pain, carry it upon his shoulders. He's the one who, in his death, surprised the great enemy, the one who had us by the heel and crushed his head and broke Satan's power, who broke the power of sin because he crucified sin. He nailed it to the cross himself. And he's the one who, on Easter Sunday, was raised to victorious life and now reigns forever. He's the one who has all power. He's the one who has all perfection. He's the one who leads us on the great exodus. He's the one who opens the sea for us, enables us to step out of slavery to sin and come into the freedom of being the children of God. We need to remind ourselves of what he has done. And we need then to live in that reality. It's not just a truth for Sunday mornings. It's not just a truth for when we break bread together. It's a truth for every moment. It's a 24-7 truth. We need to live in that reality, not be like the Israelites who so quickly forgot the rescue they had experienced. We need to constantly remind ourselves there is a rescuer, there is a hero, and he has rescued me. He has rescued us. I'm not going to depend upon my own resources. I'm not going to be a slave to fears. I'm not going to rely on my own competence. I'm not going to strive to reach a particular standard. I'm going to look to Jesus Christ and all that he has done, his victory on the cross, his righteousness given to me, the finality of his victory over our great enemy, and the freedom into which he has brought us. Live in that reality, because Christian, you are free. Hallelujah. We are going to come and take the bread and wine now. And as we do that, that's an enacted statement of faith. We're coming to Jesus and we're saying, Jesus, we really do believe that you're the rescuer, you're the hero. And that means that we expect things to happen. It means that as we take the bread and the wine, these symbols of Christ's body and blood, we come expecting to know the power of Christ at work in us. And so if you're wrestling with fears or anxieties, come and bring them to Jesus now as we take communion and expect him to, again, break that power in your life. If you're, if you're relying on your own competence rather than looking to him, come and submit that again to Jesus and give praise to him for his greater competence and experience his power at work in you. If you're striving to reach some standard, if you always live with that sense of inadequacy, I'm not quite good enough, come to Jesus in the bread and the wine and allow his spirit to minister to you a sense of assurance that, yes, you are good enough. You're not inadequate because he is fully adequate. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You don't have to struggle to reach a particular standard. He's already met it, and in you, you receive that. If you feel inadequate, come and receive his adequacy as we take the bread and the wine. Let's pray, then we'll worship and take communion together. Jesus, thank you that you are our great rescuing hero. Thank you that you have led us out of our Egypt and you've led us into the promised lands. 
And Jesus, I ask that we would live in that freedom, we'd live in that life that is ours. We wouldn't look back, we wouldn't listen to lies which say it's better back there. No, we'd receive and enjoy and embrace all that is ours in you, that we'd live as free citizens of the kingdom of heaven, sons and daughters in the house of our God. So I pray that now as we come and take the bread and the wine, as we turn to you and worship again, we would know your power at work amongst us, the freedom that you brought us, the life that you give, and the love you've poured into our hearts. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.